Chapter Number Eighteen of the Friendship of Anne, a story by Ellen Douglas Deland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of course, Sydney was willing. She did not love a quarrel any more than Dorothy did, and now that matters were explained, and she felt so sure of the friendship of all the girls whom she liked. She knew she ought to be generous to Bertha. She was fully aware that her own conduct had not been altogether irreproachable in the beginning. She had never liked Bertha and had often showed her dislike plainly. She told Dolly now that perhaps it was for this reason that Bertha had behaved so cruelly to her, for it seemed cruel to her and to Dolly also. They talked it all over, and this conversation was the beginning of a friendship between them, which lasted without the slightest shadow upon it all their lives, and which the years only served to make closer. It is thus that good so often springs from what seems to be evil. They returned to the school, and Dolly sought out Anne Talbot. Have you sent any notices yet? She had found Anne in her own room. No, replied Anne, who appeared looking for something in her trunk, and whose voice came from its depths as she bent over it. Well, I want you to promise me something, continued Dolly. You needn't ask me to promise not to send them, for I shouldn't be so silly as to make any such promise as that. Those notices have got to go, and go they shall. I am going to take them to the post office myself before supper. I am looking now for that wretched bangle. She had straightened herself to deliver this speech, and now she returned to the search. What bangle? asked Dorothy, although she knew perfectly well. That bangle Bertha Macy sent me at Christmas. It is nothing but imitation. I saw that right away when it came, only I wasn't going to tell the family I thought so. Bud discovered it, I know, but Fred Merriman was so prejudiced against Bertha already, I thought I wouldn't give him any further satisfaction. Oh, here it is at last. The idea of putting it in one of Tiffany's boxes. It came from some cheap Sixth Avenue store, like her own. I shouldn't have minded so much if she had sent it in a brown paper parcel, but to try to palm it off as coming from Tiffany's. Oh, it is too much to bear. Oh, Anne, don't be silly. What difference does it make? What are you going to do with it now? Send it back to her. Anne! Of course, why not? You shan't do any such thing. Indeed, I shall. Do you suppose I am going to keep it? You needn't keep it if you don't want to. Throw it away if you like, but don't send it back. Why not? Because you are a gentlewoman, and gentlewomen don't do such things. That is why. Anne was silent. She stood by her trunk looking at the bracelet. 
Dolly pursued her slight advantage. Do you think your mother would let you send it back? Still Anne was silent. Please promise me one thing, said Dolly. Don't send anything, the notice or the bracelet, until tomorrow. That's two things, said Anne. Then she looked at Dolly and the corners of her mouth twitched. Presently a dimple began to make its appearance. In another minute she was laughing. She threw her arms around Dolly's neck and gave her a hug that was almost bear-like. "'You little goose,' she said. "'You wretched creature, always trying to mend broken bones. "'In other words, make up quarrels and fights. "'You needn't think I am going to give in in any way. "'No, indeed. "'I will oblige you by waiting until tomorrow. "'But tomorrow the notices and the bracelet go.' "'But Anne had laughed.' and Dolly felt that there were reasonable grounds for hope. But the peacemaker had not finished her day's work. Meeting Miss Abby in the hall soon after her conversation with Anne, she asked her if she might speak to her in private. Miss Abby consented at once and led the way to the study. This was a small office-like room which was regarded by the pupils in very much the same way that a courtroom is thought of by a prisoner. Here justice was dispensed, punishments meted out, and scoldings administered. It was the apartment, in fact, where anything that was in the least disagreeable always took place. It was impossible for any pupil, no matter how innocent her conduct nor how irreproachable her standing, to enter the study without feeling a thrill of apprehension. In the minds of the Wickersham girls, it was always spelt with a capital S. To be sure, if Miss Wickersham herself were not seated in the chair of justice, the ordeal was not apt to be quite so formidable. But even with the milder-mannered Miss Abby, it could cause dismay. There was something about the little barely furnished room, with its office desk, its bench for the culprit, and its swinging chair, in which sat the presiding judge, which, as Anne Talbot expressed it, made you feel a sympathy for the victims of the Spanish Inquisition, which nothing else could accomplish. You were going to be morally drawn and quartered when you entered that room. So Dolly, being motioned to the bench by Miss Abby, felt her knees shaking under her in spite of the righteousness of her cause. And Miss Abby, who had closed the door with the clang which brought to mind the famous couplet, Leave hope behind all ye who enter here, became at once convinced that Dorothy Fearling was guilty of something, and no doubt she had come to confess it. It was somewhat surprising, therefore, to Miss Abby, when Dolly, with a courage that astonished even herself, suddenly opened the subject, not with a confession, but with a question. "'Miss Abby,' she said, 
Will you please tell me if you heard the noise yourself that we were making last night, or if one of the girls told you that we were having a party? Miss Abby surveyed her for a moment in silence. She was a lady of mature years and extremely dignified bearing. She was so stout that according to all the laws of nature, she should have been jolly, but she was not. She wore spectacles, and a dark brown pompadour surmounted her large forehead. She had no sense of humor, but she had a kind heart. Miss Abby, in her own proper character, would seldom be, have been severe, but she passed through life as Miss Wickersham's sister, and she never allowed herself to forget that she must adapt herself to the part and live up to the position. The girls feared Miss Emma Wickersham, liked Miss Abby, and loved Miss Jeanie. I don't know precisely why I should answer such a question, said Miss Abby, after the slight pause, during which she had considered how her sister Emma would have made reply. Well, of course, there is no real reason for you to answer, said Dolly, whose courage was rapidly increasing. She was so thoroughly in earnest that she forgot to be afraid. But I do wish you would tell me, Miss Abby, for a lot depends on it. Perhaps it would be advisable for you to explain more fully, Miss Fearing. What difference can it make? You were all engaged in wrongdoing and were discovered. Miss Wickersham has administered her rebuke and decided on the form of your punishment. It is not necessary for us to discuss the matter any further. Yes, it is, Miss Abby. Indeed, it is. It makes all the difference in the world. There are fusses and fights going on, and things are in a regular mess. Miss Fearing, such language is more suited to one of the boys at Pratt Academy than to a young lady at the Wickersham School. Oh, I know, Miss Abby, but you must excuse me. I've got so much on my mind. I'm trying to straighten things out and haven't got much time to do it in. Couldn't you just tell me yes or no if I ask you whether Bertha and Julia told you? Couldn't you, dear Miss Abby? Dorothy had a sweet voice, and her pleading tones went straight to the heart of Miss Abby. After all, there was really no reason why she should not gratify her. Surely Emma could not object, but she would not act too hastily. It seemed an excellent opportunity to procure information in regard to a matter which had long since reached the ears of the sisters, but of which they had learned no precise details. Miss Abby was one who took a great interest in small matters. She loved to discover things, partly for the pleasure of doing so, and partly because she felt it added to her importance in the eyes of Sister Emma. They knew that a secret society existed in the school, 
but just what it was they had never been able to find out. Miss Wickersham disapproved on principle to secret societies, no matter what the object, but the girls had been so cautious in the management of this one that, although this was the second year of its existence, the teachers knew very little about its rules and regulations, so here was Miss Abby's chance. Was your party last night merely a friendly gathering, or was it the meeting of your club? she asked. And Dolly, taken unawares, and forgetting the need for caution, answered, It was a club meeting. You have them every week, I believe. Almost every week. And your object? To keep quiet and do good and have fun and... Oh, I ought not to be telling. Why not? Because it is all secret. Anne will never forgive me. It is a secret society, then. And Miss Talbot is at the head of it? Dolly was silent. Unless you can give me the particulars I am asking for, you cannot expect me to give you the information you desire, Miss Fearing. Oh, Miss Abby, aren't you going to tell me? Please, Miss Abby, without making me tell? But Miss Abby, pleased with what she considered her profound astuteness, determined to be firm. All of Dorothy's earnestness and pleading failed to move her. Here was her opportunity, and she would make the most of it. Tell me all you can about your secret society, and I will tell you what you wish to know, she repeated. Dolly felt very much distressed. It did not seem to her quite fair on Miss Abby's part to insist on telling her what was really the secret of many others besides Dolly. But on the other hand, perhaps the teachers had a right to demand information as to what went on in their school, and also it seemed to Dolly very important to know whether Bertha and Julia had told. Do all the girls in the school belong? They all had a chance to. Some have gone out. Why did they go out? Oh, they were dropped for one reason or another. There were rules, of course, and they broke the rules. Then it is really what might be called a clique? That is precisely what we wholly disapprove of in the school, Miss Fearling. Miss Wickersham has always desired that there should be nothing of that sort. Nothing can come out of it but ill feeling and trouble. Dolly was inclined to agree with her, though she did not say so. Certainly there had been much ill-feeling and trouble, although it had not arisen altogether in the club. Since you have told me this much, said Miss Abby magnanimously, I will fulfill my promise and say that I did not hear from Miss Macy or Miss Clark that you were breaking the rules of the school last night and holding a gathering after nine o'clock. You made so much disturbance that you could be heard very distinctly when I passed over the stairs. I am very glad to know that Miss Macy and Miss Clark 
would have nothing whatsoever to do with the party, as I in fear to be the case, since you asked me whether they told of it. You may go now, Miss Fearing. It is time to make ready for supper. Dorothy departed, feeling that her errand had not been altogether a success. After supper, she asked Bertha and Julia if she might have a conversation with them, and they went to their room, having procured permission to absent themselves from the usual evening games. This part of her task was what Dolly liked the least. It would have been far easier to let the whole thing go and make no effort to bring about a reconciliation. She did not admire nor care for Bertha or Julia, and she felt that they were no addition to the club. Only her intense love of peace kept her to her resolution. If anything in the world could be done to restore peace, she must do it. Bertha, she began, as soon as the door was closed, I hope you don't mind what I am going to say. Bertha's condition of mind during the past few days had not been happy. She found that she had forfeited by her conduct the good opinion of all the girls whom she had most wished to have for her friends. She hated her present position, but she had fully determined never to yield, for she told herself again and again that she was in the right. She answered Dolly rather shortly. It depends upon what you say. I suppose it does, but I mean it in the most friendly way, Bertha. It was impossible to doubt Dolly's sincerity. She had a simple, straightforward way of speaking that was convincing, and her face was so sweet, her hazel eyes so true. Well, what is it? If you would only say something right away, to the club committee and to Sydney, say that you are sorry. I mean, I think it would all come right. If you mean apologize, you needn't say another word. You needn't think I shall ever do that. Well, perhaps not regularly apologize, but you could show in some way that you didn't mean to be so cruel to Sydney. Cruel? Yes, I think it was cruel. But we heard it, put in Julia, who had been an eager listener, but who as yet had said nothing. How did we know it wasn't true? I told Bertha the story of the Stuarts, just exactly as I heard it from my aunt. It doesn't seem worthwhile to tell a bad story, said Dolly. Why not let it be forgotten? Oh, no, protested Julia. I think these things ought to be known about people. I have heard my aunt say that very thing. She always says the worst ought to be known, and people judged accordingly. Then I don't agree with your aunt, said Dolly, with more vehemence than was usual with her. I think the worst had better be forgotten and the best remembered. For very often, the bad isn't true. It wasn't this time. 
If your aunt hadn't remembered the worst and told it, the dreadful story about the Stuarts would never have been known here, and it is not true at all. But it isn't worth while to talk any more about that. I just wanted to tell you, Bertha, that Sydney is perfectly willing to be friends again if you are. And what about Anne? asked Bertha. Well, of course Anne feels very indignant, but she paused not knowing exactly how to continue. It was perfectly outrageous of her to accuse us of telling Miss Abby last night. You see, Miss Abby came just after you were there, so of course it was natural to suppose you had met her and perhaps told her. Do you think we told her? No, I never thought so, and this afternoon I saw Miss Abby and asked her, and she said you had not. At this moment Bertha's self-control gave way, and she began to cry. To both Julia and Dorothy this was a complete surprise. Oh, it is so dreadful, sobbed Bertha, to be accused of what isn't true. Dolly hesitated, but only for an instant. Then she said very quietly, then perhaps you can understand, Bertha, how bad Sydney has felt. She was accused, you know, of writing those letters. Bertha did not reply, but Dorothy felt convinced that this last remark of hers had made an impression, although perhaps it was but slight. It is impossible to say what would have resulted from this conversation had it been continued. Perhaps Bertha's heart would have become softened, and the secret committee would have yielded, and perhaps the two girls would have been permitted to retain their membership in the KQC, but the matter was destined to be settled in another way. Even while they were talking, there came a knock upon the bedroom door. Julia opened it. Miss Jenny was standing in the hall. Young ladies, please come down to the dining room at once. Miss Wickersham has something important to speak to you about, she said. Bertha hastily dried her eyes, and the three went down. They supposed at first that they were the only ones summoned to the conference, but they found when they reached the dining room that every member of the school was present each girl sitting in her accustomed place at table, but with her chair turned towards Miss Wickersham, who stood by the door which led to the kitchen at one end of the large room. "'Are we going to have an extra meal?' whispered the incorrigible Anne to her neighbor. "'I certainly didn't have half enough supper.' Then ensued a pause of breathless suspense. All eyes were fastened upon Miss Wickersham. Something was coming. What was it? Never before had the school been summoned to an evening conference in the dining room. Not within the memory of the oldest inhabitant has such an event taken place. What was it? And then the bolt fell. Young ladies, said Miss Wickersham, 
and never had her manner been quite so icy. I have been confirmed in the suspicions which I have long entertained. I find to my surprise and displeasure that a secret society exists in this school. I do not know its name, its object, or its membership, but I do know that I heartily disapprove of anything of the kind. To me, there is nothing more odious than a community divided into sets. This school is a community. We must live together on equal terms so as far as possible. I feel, indeed, I am sure, that the existence of this society may account for much trouble that I have been perfectly aware of for some time, but have been unable to cope with. Therefore, young ladies, from this moment your society is disbanded. You will hold no more meetings, nor will you take any action connected with it. And you understand, I hope, that this is final. Whoever disobeys me will be suspended from school for a shorter or a longer time as may seem proper to me. Oh, Miss Wickersham, cried Anne, springing to her feet you haven't heard right the kqc is a splendid thing we do lots of good we miss talbot i did not ask your opinion no i know you didn't but oh miss wickersham not another word if you please it is quite useless to protest my opinion of such societies has always been well known and, I supposed, understood. It pains me deeply to find that it has been disregarded. Young ladies, your club is no longer in existence. We will now return to our usual recreations in the library. In this manner, the KQC came to an end. After the first shock of disappointment and chagrin, after the first indignation had subsided, even Anne was constrained to acknowledge that the club had not been altogether a success. The summary manner in which members were dismissed had always caused ill feeling. There was a certain discrepancy between the rule that insisted upon kind feeling and the avoidance of gossip, the keep-quiet rule, and that which permitted a secret committee to dispense arbitrary punishment. Certainly very few of the members had refrained from talking during the troubles of this winter, and yet the secret committee had been on the point of dismissing only Bertha Macy and Julia Clark, and allowing everyone else to retain membership. Anne at last admitted to Dolly that there was something to be said on both sides. This was some time after Miss Wickersham's decisive action. However, and when Anne's indignation over Dolly for what she at first had termed her outrageous interference had had time to abate, there is no denying that she was very angry with Dolly when she first heard it, for of 
course dolly confessed the whole thing to her that very night end of chapter 18 recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver bc